you're listening to a Talker Spirit Anime Cast. My name is Andrew, and I'm joined here with Chris. Yo! Today's episode is a part two of our fall 2022 anime season first impressions. We have a ton more titles to go through. Of course, this is part two of three, so we'll have three total parts because there's so much dang stuff to cover. But in this particular one, we're going to be covering Immoral Guild, Human Bug University. I think it's actually Human Crazy Universe. I don't know what they translated it weird. <laughs> the Eminence and Shadow, Blue Lock, Do It Yourself. Mob Psycho 100 Season 3, Bibliophile Princess, Mobile Love Alternative Part 2, uh, Akiba Made War, Peter Grill Super Extra, Welcome to Demon School Irmakun Season 3, and The Legend of Mana. A lot of, a lot of really good ties to go through here. <laughs> There's like at least three that I'm like super excited to talk about. So as you know, we're at talkaspare.com. It's where you can go for all of our links, our social media links, our Discord link there so you can join a great community of people. Had a cool little game night last Friday. I'm not sure if seismic's going to be doing that every week but it was a lot of fun i didn't i couldn't really participate completely because <laughs> i was still hurting at the time but it was a lot of fun um a lot of lo- lolly jokes um <laughs> whether that's a good thing or a bad thing <laughs> but uh it was it was a lot of fun so uh, a lot of great things happening on the discord it's really kind of blossoming having a lot of great fun and discussion so but yes we should probably should probably get started are you ready sure Let's kick things off with the best show of the season that nobody licensed for obvious reasons, <laughs> which is Immoral Guild or Futoku no Guild. This one is running for 12 episodes. Again, it is not streaming on any service right now, currently. Um, I, I kind of assumed they would at least get the censored version because there is a censored version out there. But again, d- there's only so much you can censor. <laughs> there's only so much you can censor. Being done by Studio TNK, the source is a manga, the genres are comedy, fantasy, and yes, edgy. A series composition by Kazuki uh, Fude Yasu, who did Slime, um, Reincarnated Slime, I think, Land of the Dale, Encouragement to Climb, Girls Last Tour, and MMO Junkie, so good stuff there. But this one opens up with an adventurer named Kikuru, and Kikuru is, I think they call him Ki-kun. Ki-kun, yeah. But anyways, uh, Ki... He is an adventurer, and he's working at this one guild, and at the time that we kind of open up, he wants to retire. It seems like he, he's noticing that his, his friend uh, from his childhood has just got recently got married, and he's realizing, I've been spending my entire life training all for the sake of being an adventurer and doing all these jobs that I'm never going to find love. So he decides that he's going to retire. So the guild lady's like, wait, 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 wait. Before you quit, we have a new adventurer coming in here. You, you'd probably want to meet that adventurer. <laughs> He's like, okay, well, I'm not sure how it's going to change my mind, but then yeah, enter Hitamu, this this puppy girl, and she is super gangy. <laughs> and so he's thinking, okay, well, I'll make sure that the guild has somebody to replace me before I leave. I don't want to just cut and run, and they don't have anybody to handle their job, so I'll just train the next up and comings, and then then I'll be able to leave. And that doesn't work out well because Hitamu is a dork, <laughs> and she likes to rush into battle and get herself. Um, they try to explain it later, but essentially the monsters really like her. They really like her. And this kind of turns into a butt of joke as they get all these different girls that are now joining the Adventure Guild. And he's trying to train them. They're all terrible. And all the monsters like to put them in compromising positions because it's that kind of show. But, uh, yeah. Enter the healer who likes to charge for her heals. Enter a mage that's like has no energy whatsoever. Enter a warrior that... Gets really weird when she uses her berserking ability, but yes, and he's a ranger. He likes to attack from a distance. He likes to observe before he, you know, sprints out there. But yeah, again, monsters and inappropriate stuff. So your thoughts? 
on she, this deplorable show that should not exist. This is exactly what's killing anime. Yes, the, the, it, this is destroying this is anime. Problematic. Uh-huh. Um, she goes into a frenzy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and pretty much hurts everybody else. Um, no, I, I I absolutely love this. This is just too goofy. Um, a lot of um, the the jokes are just lewd. <laughs> Inappropriate, um, inappropriate and problematic. Chris, um, say it right. Yes, I agree completely. <laughs> no, um, I like I said, I I love this show. I just love its goofy nature. I I I think it's just too funny. Um, and yeah, just uh, goofy uh, excuses to have etchy on the screen. So love it. That was the thing that came into this because, like, when I seen this being announced, I was like, I like the art style. Obviously, Puppy Girl. Love it. But no, I went and checked out the manga before it actually came out, and I was like, whoa, um, nobody's going to license this. Like, immediately when I looked at the manga, I was like, this is interspecies reviewers. Like, it's pretty close to interspecies reviewers here. And so I was like, okay, I don't think this is going to get licensed by anybody. Maybe High Dive. Like I said, my expectation is that High Dive was at least going to get it. Um, all I can assume is that maybe High Dive wasn't – maybe there's a possibility that nobody could license it. Maybe they weren't allowing it to be licensed outside of, of Japan. Maybe it was an exclusivity thing there. I don't know. Either way, it was like super, super lewd and I'm sorry, problematic. <laughs> but what's great was that I came into it expecting, okay, cute girls, edgy. What I wasn't expecting was that the punchlines in between those looter moments was actually really fun. Like the, the writing here is actually a lot better than I thought it was going to be. The punchlines are fantastic in between all of the etchy stuff, which was a huge surprise for me. Um, like, just to give an example, like, when he first goes out with Hitamu, he's like, you're obviously young. What, why do you want to become an adventurer? And she's like, well, I want to do this and help and all this kind of stuff. And I've been trained my whole life. And he's like, yeah, but aren't you just, like, wasting away your life? And he, like, starts criticizing her for making this choice. And then at some point he realizes he just defeated himself. Like, he just he just criticized himself for spending his entire life because she's doing exactly what he's doing. Um, that kind of stuff is literally really hilarious. And then kind of getting into the later parts, again, uh, Hanabata's quirk was super dumb the pain to get heals it, it's got a lot of like jrpg jokes a lot of that old style jrpg you know go back to the town options uh jokes about the party setup and everything like that so it, it it kind of fills in the gap for those that like the jrpg jokes like the it, it's essentially making fun of also the aspect of the guilds and the adventurers and doing quests and stuff like that so that's that's been a lot of fun and yes like i said for some goofy reason, deciding at some point to make why the monsters are doing inappropriate things <laughs> into a story beat. Like they're trying to make it into something, which is absolutely absurd. I always love when things are really obviously dumb, but then they try to make it to where it's logical. And it's like, okay, stop. <laughs> you don't have to do this, but sure, whatever. <laughs> it gives an excuse to bring the guild lady outside. That's that's all it really was, was just yes, an excuse to get the guild lady out there. Because everybody was waiting for the guild lady to get involved. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a lot, really, really dorky. And then I, I literally like, you know, they're, they're technically trying to put some character into a lot of these girls too, which is fantastic as well. I love the whole, you know, training montage with Maidena and, and, uh, Toxico. That stuff was a lot of fun. It's just, it's got the, it's got the good loot in there. It's got the good etchy moments. It's got the, yes, borderline stuff here, but at the same time, it's got a lot of fun in there and the characters are really fun to be around. So they got the archetypes in there, and the archetypes are doing really well. So it's it's been a huge surprise for me. It It's not like the most insane animated thing, but every now and then they'll do some really cool animations in there. And additionally, it's just the art style. The art style really pops. It's got a really kind of thick line to it, 
but I, I really like it. The and like I said, the character designs are fantastic, so it it all works really well. The the exam room stuff. <laughs> I I like how much emphasis he puts on the idea of like I just seen the guild lady, I seen Hanabata. There's no way that this girl is going to surprise me. And sure enough, she opens up her shirt and it's all like, oh, it's perfect. <laughs> like it's perfect. And then yeah, technically checking up Medena. Yeah, he's shaking so much. Anyways, it's it's dorky, it's lewd, it's a lot of fun. At the same time, it's unfortunate because I know most people are probably not gonna be able to aren't gonna want to go out of the the usual methods to find this. And I again I don't think this is ever gonna get picked up by anybody, so that's kind of unfortunate. Uh, but at the same time, it's I won't claim this is doing something incredible, but I think this is one of the better etchy comedy shows out there, and I've been really enjoying it every week, so and it just seems like it's getting crazier and crazier like it's one upping itself every single episode like it even goes out of its way to say why was she was the first one that like everything gets shown <laughs> like they it actually points out the fact that it, it went further so it, it's great so we'll see we'll see but that's uh immoral guild check that out if you're looking for a really solid etchy show <sighs> the next show the human crazy university or the human bug daigaku this one, I think the original title is something like Human Bug University because he's technically a bug in the system, but it, it, it gets explained at some point. But I've only watched two episodes of this. It's about the only I, – I could only stomach two episodes. I heard some people say that three was, was really good, but I also heard people say that two was good, and I didn't like two. Uh, but essentially, Human Bug University opens up with a guy named Hifumi uh, Satake, and he is currently in death row in Japan. Uh, turns out apparently he returned home, finding out that his wife was cheating on him and – he just took them both out and set blaze the whole thing. So he is he's due to be executed. And they go through the whole process of explaining, like, you know, his final meal, how he's reading this new stuff because he's stuck in here. And then eventually he goes to the execution. They go into explaining how there's, like, five buttons. All five guards press a button. They don't know which one releases the, you know, the, the floor trap door below him so that he can fall and hang. And... Then poof, he's in front of this professor and he wakes up and they're like, oh yeah, by the way, you didn't die. And turns out you've not died to a lot of things that you should have died from in your entire life. And it goes explaining all these crazy things that have happened to him in the past. And for some reason, he never dies. So he's he kind of anomaly. Um, I think they mentioned at some point that he's been through like hundreds of different diseases that normally kill people and he's never, it's never killed them. So there's something special about him. So... I, I'm guessing at that point it's going to turn into them figuring out that kind of stuff. But what I got a gist of with the first two episodes is that this is kind of like, I guess the best way to put it is it's like a fact show. Like the, the, the whole thing is literally just having characters spouting out crazy facts about how people die. And that's literally the entire thing. Like the first episode was explaining a lot about the execution system and some crazy incidents where people actually live through executions. And then the second episode is like nothing but... Half of it was different ways that you can die from different, uh, like, what do you call them, like, different bacterias and stuff within food. And then the second half is different ways to die when you're stranded out on the ocean. And it's like, it, it and it's barely animated. The whole thing is barely animated. And it just seemed like, again, if you like a lot of crazy facts and trivia, it it might be something that you'd be interested in checking out. But for me, it's like... I'm just hearing a bunch of different facts and trivia that I've heard a million times on the internet and different television shows and Discovery Channel that it's like I don't need to go through all these crazy facts again. So that's pretty much what you're getting. 
if that's something that's interesting to you, I'm dropping it at episode two. I wasn't really expecting that I was going to enjoy the show. I actually thought it was going to be turned into something where, like, at the very beginning, he realized that he can't die, and they're going to do a bunch of crazy experiments to see if they can take him out. But it's just turning into a big spew of facts and trivia, and it's it's extremely boring to watch. <laughs> I barely, I barely got through episode two. At some point, even Crunchyroll was messing up for the episode, and I was like, I don't even care that it's messing up at this point. I all it, it the visuals are messing up, but the subtitles are still playing. So I'm like, just it, nothing changing anyway. So I'll just read the subtitles and finish this episode. So it's not working out for me. But if you think that sounds interesting, definitely check it out. But that's that's Human Bug University. Did you check it out any of it? No. I just like ran right into it, assuming that you didn't. So <laughs> there was some mystery around like, did he really take out his wife? But I didn't. I couldn't get that far enough to to see if that's anything interesting. Um, I'm going to assume that something crazy happened and he lived through something that they didn't. That's probably going to be the joke in the end, if that's a joke. Uh, moving on. <laughs> Let's move on to something good. The Eminence in Shadow. Kage no Jitsu Ryokusha ni Nari Takute. This one is streaming on High Dive, running for 20 episodes. The studio is Nexus. The source is a light novel. The genres are action, comedy, fantasy. And this one opens up following a guy. The first episode, it, it's kind of weird because, like, the first episode is really kind of modern times Japan. You got this girl. It's the perspective of this girl who's, like, really popular in her school. Um, you kind of find out later on that she was an idol, and then she got attacked by one of her fans. And so she got kind of moved and has been trying to live a normal life. And But she really kind of focused on making sure that people like her. Obviously, uh uh, an after effect of what kind of she went through. So she really focused on making sure that everybody likes her. Her school really appreciates her. Teachers love her. Um, she goes to all these cram schools and takes care of things that normal people don't. And then at the same time, there's one person that never seems to acknowledge her despite everybody thinking she's great. And it's this one guy that just doesn't even know her name. Like he just thinks that she's a quote unquote NPC. Um, at the same time, you kind of find out later on she gets kidnapped and then this particular boy comes and saves her. And then right after that, we find out that that guy got hit by a truck. Truck-coon strikes. <laughs> Cut to the second episode, or well, the end of this first episode. And in the second episode, you find out this guy that saved her life is now transported to another world. The whole gist that we get here is that this guy focused his entire life in our modern times Japan, trying to become this eminence and shadow. This guy that fights crime in the dark of the night and tried to get his skills up enough that she, he can take down any criminal. He's technically a uh, a Chinubio, and he never got past that state. He talks about how all of his friends, they all, you know, got over that stage of their life. They all want to be superheroes, and at some point they gave up, but he kept to it. He wanted to become an actual superhero, but he was frustrated by the logic of our world in that you don't get superpowers, and if you get surrounded by a bunch of people with guns, you're probably going to die. You might take out a couple, but even still then, like, a nuke drops on you, you're probably going to die. So now that he's been reincarnated into this other world, he now has exactly what he's always desired, which is superpowers and magic and all that kind of stuff. And so he gets to finally live his dream of being a, no longer a Chuni, an actual superhero. Uh, but he always really tries to keep to himself being the background character. He still wants to be an eminence in shadow. He doesn't want to be a hero to everybody. He wants to hide in darkness and take out bad guys. So he starts to do his process of developing that life. Eventually, helping some girl that got some mana overpoweringness that changed her into a blob, and then tells some great story to her that he's this eminence in shadow that's trying to stop this uh, 
cult cult of Diablo. He like makes up some random name based on the stuff that he's seeing around him, and turns out that's true. There's actually this cult of Diablo, and so she runs with it and creates this big, huge. What was it called the uh, something garden shadow garden? Yeah, something like Shadow that. Garden, this group that is a bunch of girls that works under him to take out Diablos. So it kind of follows him as he's growing up in this world, keeping himself as a background character while at the same time these girls just run with it. He thinks that they, like, some point they just leave because he believes that they just got over it and they, they're no longer into his delusion. But they actually grow out and they create this huge organization of, like, 130-plus girls. Um, well, they recruited like 114 and they still had like, I don't know, 10 girls already. But, um, yeah, it's, it's about a guy that gets his dreams of being this eminence and shadow, a chuny that gets what exactly what he wants. And he's that guy and a bunch of cute girls. So your thoughts. I, 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 it, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. I, I love the fact that this character is so stuck on the majesty of his, um, of what it is he's trying to do. Like, like Andrew was mentioning the fact that he, it's, he doesn't want to be the hero in, in the forefront. He wants to be the background character the Batman. And, he's, and he's absolutely, uh, romanticized the idea of, of that. And so whenever a character comes to him, he's, he has this whole script that he lays out, uh, to, to get caught up in the moment with these characters. And, and the fact that, like Andrew was mentioning the fact that he's he's so s- caught up in it that it and it, it's coming true in front of him and he's he can't even believe his own thing knowing that it's never actually worked for him before and it actually is happening in front of him and it's 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 actually kind of funny how this the 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 um reality and his uh romanticizing is is kind of going back and forth in, in, in the way that it's playing out. And so I, I absolutely love the way that this is all working out. And it's, it's just that goofy, um, gap between the, what's really happening and what he's romanticizing. And then that kind of that, that gray area in between the two. And like I said, I love it. And I think it works out perfectly. Um, this has actually been quite a surprise of a show for me. Um, I, I, I was a little bit confused in the first episode or two, like Andrew was talking about with the whole modern era. And then they, they were when, when the next episode started up and it was kind of the opening was showing the, the characters in the modern times. And, and it was like, are, what are we doing? Are we going back to the modern time world or what, what's going on? So I, I, I just went ahead and let it go and, and hopefully whatever. Yeah, it's, not, it's not like, super like medieval timesy set guy like it typically is it's more like a victorian yeah. i don't know london look to it but it's still got like magic and swords and stuff like that yeah and it's it'll be interesting to see if they what they do with all that and and if there is a, a kind of a crossover between the two worlds it'll be interesting um but yeah loving it so far i think it's got tons of fun that 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 come from this so yeah i'm excited yeah, I think the only misgiving I had early on was like, oh, crap, we have lots of character syndrome. <laughs> we have lots of character syndrome. I'm kind of thankful that we have 20 episodes. I've kind of heard chirps and whispers of them pretty much getting into a lot of these girls, which I think is fantastic. Because I really do like – I feel like he treats each of the girls differently 
depending on who he's talking to. So it seems like he responds differently to like beta and alpha and, and delta and stuff like that. Um, especially delta, which it seems like whenever delta gets involved, he gets all serious. Um, thanks comment sections for spoiling most of the stuff. I, this is one of those shows where like, I love covering on a weekly basis, but nobody can keep their mouth shut about anything. And it's mm-hmm. so frustrating. It's like, I'm saying I'm trying to figure it out. I don't need you to tell me. Otherwise there's no point in me watching the show. Um, it, it is, it is a, it's a frustrating one to cover. This is one of those ones where it, it seems like different shows that I cover. It's got this different audience for the source material. And there's just some that are just, they never, they don't think things are spoilers. They just say everything. And there's other ones that are like super like tight lip. And I always appreciate it. Uh, the Muffle love community is super tight lip. And I love it. But not the Eminence and Shadow team. <laughs> the Eminence and Shadow people are bad. Uh, but no, I, I really enjoy this series. It's it, it's kind of a mixture for me. Like sometimes I really am getting into it, and sometimes there is some points where I'm like, shrug. Like I, for example, I don't like Sid when he's overpowered main character fighting people. It, it's he's so boring. Like he is so kirito, but yet like I don't know Chuni. It's he's a, basically a Chuni uh, kirito. Like he's just so boring when he's fighting something. I don't really care. It's like oh yeah, your his slime things come out and they slice everybody up to death. It's so boring. But whenever it gets into like him and his interaction with the girls, that's where I really like it. Like the chemistry of him in his delusion is fantastic. Like one of the earliest scenes that we had with um with his name Sid. Uh, one of the earliest scenes that we had with Sid and Beta is that they were trying to figure out where all these hideouts were for these uh, bandits, which Yes, turn out to be a part of the cult of the Diablos. <laughs> and um, and she's trying to figure out where the base is that has his sister. And so he just takes this, he makes a slime dagger and throws it at the table randomly. And he's like, oh, crap, I, I missed. And then she's like, oh, it's actually a secret code. I get it. It's all encrypted. And then she figures it out. And he just kind of does that whole, oh, uh, yeah, exactly. It, like, it totally reminded me of of Overlord. And so it does that every now and then. It gets in that feeling of Overlord where you have the character who just is getting kind of getting swept up in his own lie. He says something and the girls are running with it. And he's, he's at times trying to keep up with them and how he tries to play it off that he's, you know, letting them do it or he's letting them get experience. But in actuality, it's just that they, they're running with it and they've discovered something that he's not even into yet. And it's so great. It, the, the whole idea of the Diablos and how they constantly come back and say, Oh yeah, it's definitely part of the Diablos. And he's like, Oh, they're just doing that to to appease me, and then it's actually true. Like these girls are legit into this. That's like I said. The, the with the the end of the second episode, it really has this moment where all the girls just leave him, and he's like, "Oh, they got bored of me. They no longer want to play into my delusions." And then when they meet up with him again, the third episode, they're coming. Not third. It was like the fourth episode. When they come back to him, he's like, every now and then the girls will show up and they'll play into my delusions. I don't know why they do it. They just feel maybe they're just you know pitying me. So they come back and they act like it's a real thing. But no, it's like they legit are doing it. They are legit doing exactly what he set up, and he doesn't realize it yet because he's been he spent his entire previous life having people walking away from his chuny ways. Like they all grew up, and he didn't. And I do like that. I think it's it's playing in really well. It makes the chemistry between the characters so fantastic. It's just like I said, the only the only time I not it's not really working for me is whenever Sid's alone. I'm kind of getting tired of the whole. I'm trying to be the background character. That joke's kind of getting old already. Like the whole torture scene was like, he's trying to compete with the torturers and who can be the most background character. And it's like, I, I just, I'm getting tired of that joke, but everything else has been working fantastic. Um, it's <laughs> like the coin toss. <laughs> the princess was trying to get him to fake that she was, he was um, going to marry her. Or, like they were, they were together, whatever. 
And he's like, you know, it'll never work out because he's trying to be the background character. And she goes, well, I know how to make you work. And she tucks this coin. And then he's like, you really think that'll work on me? And the camera's on his face at the moment. And then it zooms out and he's like, it will. And his face is way down on the ground right next to the coin. But his body's still up on the, the side of the, the fountain or the, the, yeah, the fountain. It was just, it's so, they're pulling off a lot of this humor and it's worked so well. Um, but yeah. Great characters. The f- character designs are fantastic. I love all these girls that are in his team. The The Shadow Garden group is just so gorgeous. And I, like I said, I, I was a little bit hesitant early on because there's so many of them. But it does sound like they're probably going to get into each one of them. And I cannot wait because... I can't they wait to like... see. I can't wait to see uh, Delta go nuts. That I, I'm just that. Thank is... you, thank you for reminding me. That's the probably the only thing that I'm really frustrated about is they it, they insinuate the girls are doing stuff, but they never show it. Like most of the fight scenes with the girls, besides one scene where Alpha was fighting this one guy, most scenes where the girls are coming in and taking out the bad guys, it's just a bunch of sliding stills with like the action wavy lines. And then the, the everything's done. And we've seen like two scenes where Delta goes crazy, but in both scenes, you just see like one still shot of her and then things blow up. And it's like, I, can we see these girls actually animated? Like the, the character designs are so fantastic. Let us see them fight. And like I said, we've only really seen alpha fight like animated and it's just frustrating. Yeah. They, they, yeah, like the the recent episode. Suddenly, they're like, "Oh, Delta's here!" And then she just shows up, and you see her do this. Like, well, you don't see her do anything. You see the still of her like swiping her hands, and then suddenly half this building just kind of slides off. <laughs> it's just, and she's supposed to be like super, super crazy. And well, I just the wait for the, her. the way they implied it was that uh, uh, who was it? Beta? No, was it Beta that said uh, that Delta's here? And and Sid goes. Delta's here type. Alpha said at the first, yes. Alpha, Alpha shows. That's what I mean. It's like he, he responds differently to each one of them. Like when Alpha first goes, so again, Sid leaves. He goes off to the school. He thinks that the girls kind of show up every now and then to kind of appease his delusions. But then Alpha shows up and she gives him a burger and then says, okay, we're, we're ready to go. And he's like, what? Okay, they're just playing into it. Whatever. She's just she's just trying to appease me. And then Alpha goes to leave and then she says, oh, by the way, Delta's here. And he's like, sh- he shoots up and I'm like, what is Delta so special? Like my, my assumption was that Delta was like the closest to him that she's like crazy and she likes to take down things. But again, spoilers, thanks people. But no, it, it, I do like how he responds so differently to Delta. Like when Delta shows up, it's like things go down. Like the stuff's stuff's going to happen, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, Be- Beta is just, I don't know. She's like super into his, his whole thing and likes to write her book about what he's doing all the time. Um, she just kind of seems like super thirsty about him as a character. So they're all thirsty for him, obviously, but no, I can't wait for more. It, it's a great cast of characters looking forward to it. The chemistry's phenomenal. I, I also appreciate the little tension and detail they're doing with the adaptation. Like with the third, the first episode, again, it's like having this girl's perspective, but like everything that Sid does or whatever his name was when he was in the other world, uh, everything he does is like overly, dramatized so like when he puts down his bags you hear like this clank 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 and then he puts his shoes inside the shoe locker and it goes kathong <laughs> like everything feels like it's being portrayed from his perspective and the idea that everything he does is grandiose like he's putting down the weights from goku or something like that um it's really funny so anyways yeah looking forward to more really fun really really great literally definitely a different flavor of isekai yes it's a overpowered main character isekai but again it's doing kind of a it's it's almost a cross between like Overlord and just 
uh, a typically Sekai with harem, but just more of a darker look to it. And it, it, it is pretty gruesome, too. A lot of gore, a lot of violence. So I'll be interested to see where it goes from here. But there you go. Immense and Shadow. Check that out. And if you're, if you're really enjoying it, uh, check out my weekly videos on it. Because um, it's been a lot of fun. Moving on to Blue Lock. This one's streaming on Crunchyroll, running for 24 episodes, being done by Studio 8-Bit. The source is a manga, and the genres are action, drama, and sports. Serious composition be by uh, Taku Kishimoto, who did Millionaire Detective, Miss Nagatoro, uh, Ranking of Kings, and Fruits Basket. And this one opens up following a guy named Yuichi Isagi, and he, he currently is playing in the preliminaries for his school, and at some point he was... He could take a shot, but he decided to pass it, and the guy they passed it to failed to get into the goal. Uh, so they, they lost the game, and his coach is, you know, encouraging them, saying, you know, there's no I in team, and there's 11 players, not one, giving all these ideas of, you know, teamwork and how they did exactly what they should have done, and, you know, it's unfortunate kind of thing. So he kind of accepts this and goes to leave home, and at some point he realizes you know, what if I didn't pass? What if I kept the ball to myself and made the goal? Would my life be completely different? Would I be going to nationals, all this kind of stuff? And this really upsets him. But things aren't over for him. He gets home and he discovers that he has a letter that was sent to him. Um, This basically this big national uh, soccer league group is wanting him to come and become like one of these pinnacle athletes. So he goes there, ends up running into the striker of the team that just beat him. <laughs> he apparently got a letter too. Uh, he goes inside this facility and there is just a ton. Like I, th- I think total of 300, um, including him. 300 total soccer players are now, in- I'm sorry, football players are in this facility. And <laughs> I'm going to say soccer from now on. <laughs> I'm American. Um, anyways, there's, there's 300 strikers in here. And for those who don't know what a striker is, a striker is basically the offense um, player of a team. They're the ones that are on the front line. They get the ball to the goal. Uh, but they're all all these soccer players in this facility. Three hundred players are all strikers. Kind of seems odd that they're specifically strikers. But then this guy named Kenpachi Ego steps up, and he's this nerdy looking dude. And he just tells all these guys, "Look, you're all invited here to become the next, you know, thing that's going to take Japan to the World Cup and win the World Cup." Um, it seems apparently behind the scenes. There's this idea. This lady has come to this um, this this league of soccer in Japan and said, you know, look, we need to stop failing. We need to stop being the losers. Japan needs to win the World Cup. And everybody in the room is kind of like, you know, what? Who cares? Soccer is popular. We have a lot of fun. We're still making money. We don't need to win the World Cup. But no, she presses on them. She's got this guy Kenpachi Ego that knows how to make them win the World Cup, and that is by creating like the best striker ever. And the way that Kenpachi Ego believes that he's going to create the best striker is by this blue lock facility. So he's got this big facility where whoever wants to come will come. They'll go in this facility. They can't leave. And it's, well, they technically can if you get enough points, but that's beside the point. (laughs) He claims that you can't leave. You have to stay here. They have training facilities and everything. And they're going to go through these different uh, trials to eventually lead down to one person that will be the striker of all strikers. And his whole mentality is that Japan is failing because they're so focused on team. Everybody works together. We get to the goal. Goodness. And then they fail miserably. He wants to create a striker that is driven by ego. Hence the name Jinpachi Ego, right? (laughs) So he wants them to be ego driven. He says, here's all the best strikers out there in the world. Guess what makes them all the same? They all have ego. 
They're the focus. They're the winner. They're the one that gets the goal. So Yuichi Isagi at first is like, you know, that's completely opposite to everything I've been taught. But eventually he realizes he's right. This is why we're losing. And he runs forward and everybody joins him. And then they start the blue lock, which is, again, is like just kind of different trials they go through. The first one is they play tag with a soccer ball. So if you hit somebody else with a soccer ball, um, then they get tagged and they're it. And whoever's it at the end loses. And the kind of thing they're trying to create a little bit of drama with is the idea that if you lose, you don't die. This isn't this isn't uh, Squid Games. It's kind of Squid Game-ish. But you don't technically physically die. It's just you're going to die in your career. Like, you will not play for the Japanese World Cup ever. Like, the National Japanese League um, for adults and whatever, you'll never play for them. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of your way of dying. So, obviously, if somebody loses... It's it's basically their career. Let's let's be honest. So, yeah, that's that's that's, that's kind of the setup so far. And um, did you end up watching this? No. Yeah, like I said, it is technically trying to be kind of a Squid Game ish. And now, granted, I know Squid Game is recent. This was probably out long before it, but just it's it's a popular show, so a lot of people know what I'm talking about. Um, it is a facility, quote unquote, death game. People competing against each other, not able to leave the facility, going through different trials in these big empty rooms, that kind of stuff. I was intrigued by the show coming into it, honestly. I, I think it had a really uh, a solid setup. I was pretty entertained by the concept of it. Um, I think early on, the only thing that was really kind of losing me was when Jimpachi Ego would go through this big, long explanation of exactly why the current trial they're doing um, is logical for creating a perfect striker. Again, with the whole idea of the tag game, it's, you know, you have this this layout. Um, it's it's about who you hit. It's about, you know, taking opportunities, being where you need to be in order to hit the ball uh, at the time that it needs to be, which, which Yoichi Isagi does. He, at some point, just goes to exactly where he needs to be, hits the ball, wins. Now, when we get into, like, the later ones, it's like it, it keeps, like, trying to explain that stuff, but then... I'm assuming they're going to explain the later ones, but they get in this whole thing where each of the each of the different point system setups are in a teams and they play against each other in a game of soccer. And then at that point, it kind of starts losing me because, okay, if you're trying to create the perfect striker that's ego driven, that's all about themselves. Why would you make them all have to play in a team? (laughs) Because then you're having to rely on them actually giving up the ball. And it's completely opposite to what you originally established. But again, I'm assuming ego will go through like this long explanation of exactly why that works. But I don't know. Like I said, it kind of grabbed me early on with the concept of the death game. But I think what really kind of quickly lost me is that it felt like it got repetitive at some point. Like every time they would do something, they would then go back into the the locker room and they would all start claiming that they're the better one, that they should give them the ball. No, you're worse. I'm better than you. I have a higher score. It's just... At some point, after hearing these arguments between them of who's the best striker and how and who they should give the ball to, I got tired of it. And again, it seems like it's counterproductive to the original concept and the idea that, yes, technically them coming in the locker room, they should all say that they're the best and they should be the striker that leads them to victory. But then when you slowly get to the point where they're trying to work as a team, it's counterproductive to the original concept of them being selfish. So, I, again, I don't know how Jimpachi Ego is going to explain that logically i'm sure they will but i think the only thing that's really still kind of still catching my attention is the unique way they're trying to go overcome these issues again having a full team of strikers how do you get over that 
it seems like every team that they go up against uses a different method in order to win. The first one was a logical one. They just choose the best striker, they get the ball that striker, they win. With this recent one, it kind of went into this idea of one side was doing a rotation where each one would take turns being the striker, and they would rotate around, while the other side was focused on essentially one person getting the ball to another person with this long-distance shot. That was, again, probably the only thing that was keeping me kind of entertained throughout this entire thing. So the, the matches themselves, interesting. It's just kind of all the stuff in the middle really loses me. Again, Jimpachi's explanation as to why this is logical and these moments where they're kind of in the locker room or at the cafeteria, which are just, I'm not getting much out of the chemistry of the characters themselves. There was one decent scene between uh, Rinsuke and Yuichi where he kind of thanks him for getting the ball and gives him part of his reward, which was a stake. But for the most part, it's just not really working for me. I'll probably still continue watching, but it's, it's just a very massively mixed bag for me. Like half of it's just not working for me. And then half of it is decent. So we'll see. It's definitely not Awashi. <laughs> and that's so funny. Cause we just, we came fresh out of Awashi having two cores right into the blue lock, which is going to be two cores. And you obviously, I, I, Chris would probably already know what the, the main difference of between the two shows is one. Awashi is a striker. This one's a striker. What's the difference here? The, Squid Game Derpy Faces? Well, yes. <laughs> no, it's like Awashi was all about a striker realizing that he cannot, he has to work with the team. Awashi, Ashito was, his reality point was that he used to always play as get me the ball and get to the goal. And he had to learn to actually work as a team. This one is literally the opposite where it's the guy that was all about team now having to learn about being selfish. So it's kind of funny in that regard. So anyways, we'll, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. So not Derpy Faces Squid, squid Game. That too. It, it <laughs> honestly has not bothered me as much as I thought it would. Definitely looking at the PVs and stuff like that, some of the character faces are just so stupid. And I got a little bit of a feel of that really, especially in the first episode, because you really see everybody. And some of these people have the stupidest looking faces ever. And I cannot... I know it's probably edgy, and people are like, oh, man, that guy looks cool. He's edgy. Look at his eyes are dead. I It makes me laugh. Like, it, I can't take it seriously, and it looks so stupid. And some of the, the pumpkin smiles is the best way I can explain it. The big, long, wide, I don't know, half-circle smiley faces are just so stupid looking. I, But again, I, it, hasn't, it hasn't been bothering me as much as it, I thought it would. But yeah, every now and then having these games where suddenly they look over and they feel the, they feel the aura. And they look over and they have the whole smoke going around the characters and their eyes are super like swiggly lined like they're dead. It's like, okay, sure. Uh-huh. It's super serious. Soccer's super serious. Football. Football's super serious. We'll see though. It's, I, I definitely enjoyed Awashi a lot better early on, but we'll, we'll see if Blue Luck can, can match up with it eventually. Uh, next one we have is Do It Yourself, which is streaming on Crunchyroll for 12. It right. Do it furu. Iwato Sefu. Anyway, streaming on Crunchyroll for 12 episodes, Studio Pine Jam. It is an original. Genres are slice of life. The director is Kazuhiro Yoneda, who did Kakageki Shoujo and Hozuki Coolheadedness. And series composition and script work by Kazuyuki Furiyasu, who did Slime, Elena Liddell, Encouragement Climb, Girl Last Tour, Mimo Junkie. Obviously, doing two different things. Uh, and character designs by Yusuke Matsuo, who did Encouragement Climb. So. 
good stuff there. But yeah, this one opens up. It's kind of it feels like a slightly future Japan. Uh, technology seems to advance a little further than what we currently have. I mean, they have pretty much schools dedicated to uh, 3D printing and and developing arteries. So <laughs> it seems like you have if, when you have high schoolers developing working arteries, it kind of makes you think things are a little bit in the future. Uh, drones flying everywhere and uh, automatic buses and stuff. But anyways, uh, we follow a girl named Sarafu Yua. Get the Yuara Sarafu. Um, <laughs> and she's kind of a, a klutz. Uh, she gets injured a lot. <laughs> but she is going to a new school. It seems like she's going to a different school than her childhood friend, uh, Putin, who lives next door, which really upsets Putin. Um, but she goes to this one school. It's a smaller school that's unfortunately surrounded by a bigger school. But uh, the smaller school is kind of more seen as like the less school. The big school that's surrounding it's like the higher technology and they're studying the arteries and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, her friend's going to the big school. She's going to the small school. And at some point while she's in the smaller school, she ends up running into this – well, she ends up wrecking her bike. Some random girl shows up and fixes her bikes and leaves. And then through talking to some friends, he finds out this girl that fixed her bike is a part of this um, club that's in the shack that's in the middle of nowhere in the school grounds. So she goes there to kind of thank her so that she doesn't come chasing after her with a hammer for some reason. And when she arrives there, she realizes this little shack is the do-it-yourself club that this one girl is a part of. And, you know, over time, she kind of gets wrapped up in the idea of joining the club itself, helping them make it as an actual club because you need five members and just doing different types of uh, crafts and stuff like that. One of the main focuses early on is that she wants to figure out a way of, you know, hanging out with her friend who lives next door again and that's through, like, this bench that they used to have in that girl's yard. So she decides to build a bench. That doesn't really go anywhere. <laughs> and then over time, they end up roping in this girl named Takumi, uh, who kind of helps them spruce up the place, make it look cuter so they can draw in new members. And then eventually this foreign exchange student who puts the wrong school – well, she writes the, the katakana wrong for the school that she was joining because they're s so similar. She ends up having to join, and she's, like, the daughter of this, like – CEO of this major tech company or something like that. And she gets kind of roped into the group as well. So yeah, your, your, your thoughts on do it yourself. I, I, I love this show. Let's, let's get that out of the way. Why do you have like a sly beforehand? Because I'm, are you going to say, but not exactly. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm really, really mixed on the artwork. Oh, um, oh my gosh. In some aspects, I really love it. Um, it's, it, it, it's very fluid, got, has this very, very soft feel to it. Um, but in a lot of ways, for some odd reason, it just doesn't fit with the show. And, and, and so I, in, in all actuality, I, I, I get very, very mixed on it, uh, in a lot of cases and it, it does feel very hand-drawn. Um, that, that's for sure. And I do, I think I like it because of that, but in in some cases, it just doesn't fit right, and I don't, I don't I can't put my finger on it, and that is probably my biggest hang up on it in in general. Other than that, I I I think that the stories are very very down to earth, very chill, um, uh, very heartwarming in a lot of cases. Um, I absolutely love the um, the the interplay between the characters. They the um, I kind of love this idea of the of Putin being this kind of um, stuck on this aspect of um, almost like she sees something in uh, Serifu that she wants to come out, but she can't, she can't accept the idea that Serifu is uh, not 
not becoming more than she actually is. I and I and I I, I can't wait to see when that actually w- is is going to come out. Uh, whatever it is that is, I I may be building it up to be more than that it actually is, and it, it ends up being something kind of disappointing. But as it is. I think that's a lot of it is this, this, she sees something in Serafu that she wants Serafu to, uh, become, but she's not doing that. She's lazy and, and kind of clumsy and, and goofy and, and just does her own thing. And that frustrates her. So yeah, I, there's, there's a lot of characters that just really well thought out and, and very interesting and dynamic. And I really love this show. I think it does a lot of things that just right. I, I think it's like an aspect of the the old versus new, which I, I kind of assumed with the first episode was going to be a thing with the series. And I think they're really doing a good job of really kind of tying that in with the characters. I am I cannot express how much this show has shocked me with its writing, because I honestly coming into the show, I just assumed it was going to be cute girls doing cute things. Do it yourself, which I think is enough for me. Like, I, I, I love the idea of do it yourself. I, I really enjoy crafting things myself i haven't really done it a lot here recently i need to start doing it again here soon because i need more shelves uh but if anybody's watched my youtube videos you'll see like these big long shelves that go across my my ceiling those are all something that i made myself and i i really do resonate with you know characters like gray who was the original member of the do-it-yourself club and this idea of like well why don't you just go buy it like they, they keep emphasizing this idea that you know robots create everything just buy it and they'll ship it to you. Why do you need to make things yourself now? It is having a little bit of a battle between the new tech and the old tech and this idea of getting your hands dirty and doing things yourself. But then her hitting on this idea of why would I do that? And plus the idea of, you know, you can't always get exactly what you need. So crafting your own thing, you can like with I, what I did with mine, I knew exactly the measurements I needed. I was able to create something that was perfect for my necessity. And additionally, I was able to make it in a way that was super durable because I knew exactly what was going to be on it. So there is an element and a, and a rewarding feeling of doing that as well. You, it, it's nice having those slip-ups. It's nice messing up. They even emphasize that with the first episode. She messes up by letting the drill over torque, and it, it, it skips off of the, 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 the screw, and it just grinds the board. But then she's like, it, but that gives it character. That was that learning process, and you learn something from it. And yeah, I have some of my shelves are like, over time, I'm doing better and better with them. But the first ones I made, just they're just the wood's chipped, it's broken, it's got bad uh, screw points and all that kind of stuff. You learn as you go along, and there's a rewarding feeling to that. So like I said, I, that was my expectations. Coming into this, do it yourself, cute girls doing cute things, and that was going to be enough for me because that's exactly what I can definitely get a lot of enjoyment out of. What surprised me is the writing of these characters is so, so phenomenally done. Like, I am super shocked by how much I'm getting emotionally invested in a lot of these characters their insecurities, and how they're roping these characters. My assumption early on was like, okay, Setafu makes bench, sets it down in, in Putin's yard, and then boom, they have this moment where they realize, oh, that's right, we used to be super friends and hang out all the time. No, it's like, no, it's Jobco is the one that brings everybody together, and it shocked me how that worked. It was like, the moment I seen Putin making a hammock, I'm like, got her. Like, like I had this moment of yeah. like excitement, like, yes, here it is. But then it, but then it shocks me in the idea that it's not necessarily all of it it's like a culmination of all these little steps that they're really pulling pulling these characters together and yes it's not as that Purin hates Serafu like she doesn't hate her it's just that she has these own perspective on how she feels like society should be technology is driven and it's further than what you're at and yet you're stuck in the past 
come up with here to this future part. And I think Jobco is perfect in creating that that bridge between the two of them. She's fine with that crafting side, but at the same time, she does like the new tech. And I like how they're really drawing the characters together that way. And yeah, Takamin and her introduction was was fantastic too. It really felt like she was kind of there doing things on the side. And then at some point she realized how much she enjoyed what she was doing. And she kind of becomes almost the, I guess the soft heart of the group. Because early when Jabako first joins, she's like super combative. And it obviously is completely opposite to Rei and how she feels things should be. You're crafting things you shouldn't. You're You're using old tech. Having that kind of conflict between the two of them outbursting, hurting one side's feelings, and then having Takamin come in and be kind of the the one that, you know, calms everybody down and brings them together. Um, they're doing so well with these characters. I mean, it makes me wonder what they're going to do with this, this cat girl. This she girl, yeah. Uh, like, is she going to, how are they going to rope her into it? Obviously, she's been watching with Putin all, all the time, watching what is kind of transpiring. Um, they have this new project they've decided to work on, which is going to be a huge project. So I'll see, we'll get to see how that kind of comes together. But like I said, at the core, what surprised me so much about the show is, yes, technically the heart. It's the characters themselves. It's their own conflicts that are kind of at times combative with each other. But how this writer is really tying all these characters together is really beautifully done. And it's not as simple as, again, we made a bench. So suddenly, boom, childhood friends back together again. It's really making it a lot more complicated and, and, and interesting than I originally thought it was going to be. But I, I think at the core, like Jobco has been... Literally what this show has been so great for. The last two episodes with Jobco has been fantastic. I really do love her character, and I love how she's really pulling everybody together. Well, and, and, that, and that goes to what, what, what I was saying is the, the idea of the, the characters and how dynamic they are is it, just absolutely fascinating how well written these characters are. And that, that leads me to believe that just like, like Andrew is saying, I, I, I can't wait to see where they go in the future because obviously – these characters are a lot more deeper in in how they're written, and and that that was why I went off on this random tangent about what what Pirin is 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 her true feelings on how how Seraf is. It, it it it's obviously not as simple as well. I hate you because you you're backwards and old fashioned. No, there's far more to it than that, and I and I and I'm so excited to see where they can take these characters for sure. And there was a there was a feeling early on that it was about that she didn't like how unfocused Setifu was. Like, right. if you would have focused, you would have gotten to the same school I got into. If you would have been focused, you've been able to succeed like I am. I agree with the idea that I think that she just wants Setifu to be successful. She wants Setifu to be at her side and be successful like she's being successful. And to see that her friend is not going to get that get the proper training for the future which is what is current the focus of the world itself is, is obviously going to frustrate her I just like, <laughs> she's like i learned how to make a, a workable uh artery and then sadaf is like oh we learned about uh this this king that was like 200 years ago you're learning about the past we're learning about the future well it's not that big of a deal i mean <laughs> she's like i'm not complimenting you babaka uh there is there's a little bit goofiness in, in the in the Sundere-ness, but like I said, super shocking. I I kind of disagree with the visual style. I really like the visuals of this show. It feels there is times where I feel like the the framiness of it kind of bugs me. Like it feels like it's trying to be overly animated, but at the same time, it's got a lot of cut frames. So it kind of feels like the animation is jumping around. But I just love how it looks. I love how kind of very 
very sketchy Setafu looks, especially, but it, it, I think they're doing a really incredible job of not only just the animation, making them look lively and, and animated, but additionally, a lot of perspective shots that they're putting with these characters is so good. Like, especially episode four, there was so many great shots of the characters from different perspectives, constantly moving around. It really gave me a sense of, you know, they're, they're developing of this quote-unquote groom for <laughs> Jafko. Oh, and and like I said, I I can't put my finger on it. There's something about it. it in in some respects, I I love it, and in others, it's I I hate it. I I I can't decide if I like it or not. I re- I really can't. You know, the only thing that bugs me, the fact that Sarafu is the only one that whenever she opens her mouth, it's white. Everybody else has like you know gum tone, but she's like her mouth opens up and it's white. Obviously because she's always got her teeth closed. I don't know what why her mouth is always white when she opens her mouth. That's the only thing that's bugged me. <laughs> but I think it's to her charm. I think it's to her charm. Um, I, I love the fact that she's got like a perfect uh, attendance um, at school. In the infirmary. In the infirmary. <laughs> Not that's perfect attendance in the actual class. Um, it's good. I love it. I love the characters. I love the writing. Um, I love the art style. Um, I love the comedy. It's it's on point. Like every time that Putin drives or gets busted by and she's always watching in, in jealousy through the window. Um, it's good. I love it. So, yeah. Definitely highly recommend do it yourself. And it's one of those ones where I think it, it's it's probably a thankful thing that this might be one of those ones where it's like, it's not just the sum of cute girls getting cute things. So like, I'll be able to recommend it to people that aren't just looking for fluffy, cute girls uh, because the writing is just so good. So moving on to a show where Andrew is bothered by the art style. <laughs> good segue, right? No, I'm joking. Uh, Mob Psycho 100 season three. Chris is backing up because he didn't want to get involved. Don't anger the Mob Psycho fans, Andrew. Uh, but no, this is running on Crunchyroll, being done by Studio Bones, sources of manga, comedy, action, supernatural. Um, I guess to give people a brief idea of what we're getting into with this season, we of course had the aftermath of season two, which is the creation of this big, massive broccoli in the middle of the city. Um, over time, everybody's trying to, is starting to worship the thing, and it's all kind of to this fictitious entity that they claim created it, which was this um, helmet something. What was it called? It helmet something. I, I forget. I forget the name of it. I'm sorry. I'm gonna, I'm angering people. The helmet man thing, which was like this brief image that people created of what was actually originally created the broccoli. But anyways, going this season, I, like early on, it felt like a lot of the emphasis was on Mob and his future, and this kind of shifted into Mob. Kind of started growing a little bit of a hot-headedness like like he's special and that everybody's always looking at him so he became what people were joking as being the mob chad which had like the super crazy chin thinking that everybody is in love with him and this kind of transitioned into somebody taking the role of being the leader of this religion around this broccoli tree and a lot of uh brainwashing happening in the city everybody's becoming brainwashed into being absorbed by this this broccoli but um yeah, just I, I I've said it before. I'll say it again. Season one of Mob Psycho 100 didn't work for me. Season two, I really really enjoyed. Um, season three, I'm kind of in a mixed state right now. I do think that there's something here that if they get into it, might be really interesting surrounding Mob and the idea that it seems like a lot of emphasis in the season is on Mob and his ego. Mob's always been kind of very very quiet. But he always had like this buildup of anger. That's the whole concept of Mob Psycho 100. The 
the constantly growing percentage from zero to a hundred in the point which his powers become overbear uh, overwhelming and he starts exploding a lot of things and the the ongoing shtick has always been watch the number slowly climb then something crazy happens the number hits a hundred and he blows up stuff now I'm curious with this particular season is it's going to get into really mob getting out of just being emotionless but yet having the boiling point and getting more into him being self-absorbed because it really does feel like at least some people want to push him into the position of being the leader of this broccoli religion and having everybody technically worship him because, yes, as we all know and quite a few characters know in the show itself – Mob is extremely overpowered. He could technically become a god of an area. He could technically become this religious person that everybody looks up to because of how much power he has. And again, I'm curious if that's going to be a talking point because even Reagan in this recent episode kind of points it at him. Like, do you think you, this is something you can technically do? Are you jealous of the person that took the role that you should have took? And I'm curious if that will be a, a point which I think will be pretty interesting to get into. I don't know that I'll get into because Mob's never been somebody that is that selfish. He's always a very selfless person. And to, I really just, I hope if that's something they're going to do, they do it properly because I don't want it to be a light switch. Suddenly he's full of himself. It obviously felt like the last couple episodes with the whole Chad <laughs> Mob moments, it felt like it was a, a light switch. But I think that was just him finally feeling like people wanted him. They they seen something in him that he never thought that he would. It was always usually typically people looked at his brother. His brother was the one that was handsome. His brother was the one that was popular. He wasn't. And I think it was like a brief moment of him getting that kind of in his system that people do really want something out of me. Um, outside of that, the usual mob psycho comedy and stuff like that, it's fine. Um, I still really enjoy Reagan. I think there's been a lot of really fantastic Reagan moments already this season. I always love whenever he turns out to be not always a scam artist, but actually being a legit human being um, has always been kind of the the shining points of the series so far. But I'll be curious where it goes from here. Um, as usual, I don't like the car style. I've never liked the art style. I'll probably never like the art style. Uh, Bones does some crazy animation moments. I always praise him for it. But um, outside of that, just looking forward to seeing where they go with this particular story arc. So that's um, Mob Psycho. Season three. Moving on, Bibliophile Princess or Mushi Kaburi Hime. This one is streaming on High Dive, running for 12 episodes. Being done by Studio Madhouse, the source is light novel. Genres are romance. The director is Toro Iwasaki, who's did Sweetness and Lightning and Well Wink Friends. Series composition by Mitsutaka Hirota, who did Spirit Chronicles, Rent-A-Girlfriend, Eden Zero, and Animagatari's. This one opens up uh, following a girl named uh, Elena Bernstein. And she is of the family, the Bernsteins. This is a noble family that is really well known for being bookworms. And she kind of plays right into it. Talks early on about the fact that, yes, just like her entire family, her obsession is with books. They, the, the idea is that the Bernstein family... They will give up meals to read books. <laughs> They're just they just are bookworms, and so she's obsessed with books. She's always read books her entire life, and then one day, suddenly out of nowhere, <laughs> the prince of this kingdom comes to her and says, "Hey, be my fiance, <laughs> like marry me, basically." And she's kind of shocked by this. She's like, "I don't know why he's confronted me. I don't know what he wants." But from the prince's perspective, Christopher, from his perspective, he wants like she's exactly what he wants because, like she puts it. 
my family doesn't really have any allegiance. They're kind of out, you know, out outside of the norms of the political fighting that's happening. And he's like, that's exactly what we want, what I want inside the, the castle. And in, in between all the nobles, there's factions and there's people constantly backstabbing each other. There's a lot of um, pull for power and her being outside of that, her family being outside of that makes her perfect for her, his next wife. So he wants to, you know, marry her. So he said, you can stay at my side. You can read, you can continue to read your books. You don't have to worry about anything. Just stay at my side, read your books, and I will give you access to all the books you want. I'll give you everything you want, including the big royal library, the secret royal library vault. Um, he'll give her access to that, and that quickly catches her attention, like all these books there that you can't get anywhere else. So she quickly agrees, just based on that alone. But it kind of continues from this point on, the idea that she feels like she is a fake fiancé, like... He just has me at her, his side until he finds somebody that he actually loves. But I'll just enjoy these books. I'll read my books, and eventually he'll get tired of me, and he'll he'll send me on my way. Um, and that course kind of happens over time as she finally realizes that she he's now talking to this other girl um, that is a part of this family, Irene. Uh, she's come into the inner area in order to train with like a lot of etiquette and stuff like that in the royal uh, capital. And she's kind of catched, caught uh, Christopher's attention. And so at this point, Eileen's like, you know, look, it was fun while it lasted. I enjoyed my books. It looks like he found somebody else. So I guess he'll discard me eventually. So I don't know how far I want to get into this. I <laughs> I really love episode two. And I really don't want to spoil things. Uh, but it, it, it kind of turns this whole idea of I, I it, the main core concept here is that Elena believing that she is this bookworm that she doesn't know how to socialize with people and she feels kind of isolated in the idea that she just enjoys her books. She doesn't socialize much with people. And what you kind of get into with going forward is realizing at some point that the fact of how book smart Elena is and how willing she is to share that information with other people becomes exactly what makes her so special. And whether other people can see that special thing about her or not is the key point of the story. It seems like so far, um, and whether Christopher realizes that, whether the people around them realize that and whatnot. So I don't know. I, I really don't want to get into any further than that. I don't know why. I just – we might get into a little bit. I just highly suggest people checking out the first two episodes. Do not go based off the first episode of the series. The first episode honestly isn't insane. It's not like grabs you or anything like that. My point that I make to people is that episode two – is the whole reason episode one exists. Like, you realize really quickly when you watch episode two, oh, episode one makes perfect sense. The feeling of her isolation and stuff makes perfect sense when you get into episode two. So, anyways, your thoughts? I absolutely love this show. Um, I think that it really does, like Andrew was kind of pointing out, episode one, I'm not going to say it kind of um, is misleading. It is absolutely perfect for what it's doing. It is... Setting up this almost, um, for lack of a better term, implying uh, sets her up as this character that is not necessarily untouchable, but there's there's a a bubble around her that is not really. Um, it's very deceptive. You're you're seeing one thing, but in a, all actuality, things are going on around her that is not necessarily um, what she's aware of. And and maybe this is something that will change later on in the future of the show. Um, I do really, really am super excited about what 
what else could they do with this 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 story? I I really do love how all of this played into the that first three episodes and I'm super excited at the the idea of what could they get into in the future because with the the way this show uh plays out you you are basically seeing everything from her perspective not everything but you're seeing most everything from her perspective of this character who's in a way kind of oblivious to what's going on around her um and yet at the same time is very much um crucial to the telling of the story and i think that that's really well balanced of um these characters who are playing uh things in the background but at the same time she's the main driver of the story which is is absolutely fascinating that they're pulling this off so yes i really do love this and i i'm like i said i'm very excited to see what they can do in the future um so yeah love it it's a romance chris it's a romance we actually have a romance (laughs) I don't get to say this much, but I, I, on one hand, I don't like most anime romance because it's always like, you know, it's either will they, won't they, it's like over drama, uh, it's like melodrama or it's just a rom-com. And I don't really feel like most rom-coms are that focused on the romance and doing the romance right. I, I can probably count one, maybe three total romance in anime that I actually thought was a solid romance. This is romance and it's doing it so far, doing it really well. But again, my my grab isn't so much that, which I think it's doing it well and I do appreciate it when it happens. I just I, I feel it. But I think like what Chris has already kind of hit on quite a bit now is I think at its core, the thing that I'm enjoying so much is that contrast of what Eliana feels and what others realize is happening around her. Again, she feels very kind of closed up. She feels very isolated. She feels very useless. I mean, this whole, the whole first, again, first episode is really her saying, I am a fake. They will get bored of me eventually. They will throw me to the side. I'm just going to enjoy my books. But then again, when you realize later on is that her, her studiedness, like how smart she is, is exactly what people want, is exactly what makes her special. And again, I think it's purposely the way they portray the first episode is to not really show you how she is affecting those around her. And when you come to that realization later on, it's really golden. Like it's just these little kind of snippets of no, she did help this. No, she did change these people. She introduced this concept. She's, she's digging into these old books, these old uh, civilizations and the pre, the pre uh, lineages of the, the kingdom itself and digging into all this history to be able to say, you know, this is a fake or you need to focus on this stuff. She is exactly what people around her need. And I love how it portrays that. And it showed, it was like this, I literally, Episode two, I, I texted out, I tweeted out everything, telling everybody I literally was in tears. Like it, this got me so emotional how they pulled off that second episode. And I think I think if you watch the first two episodes and it and it doesn't work for you, don't worry about it. But I'm saying right now, that's exactly what hit me. And it's it had a cooling off point. Like episode four was a little bit of a cool off for me, but I'm just curious to see how they can keep pulling that off. And again, I think a lot of it's gonna be focused on Eliana going, you didn't, basically she's giving knowledge. Like she is, she's giving to people what she's gained over their many years of consuming knowledge. 
and I like how they're pulling that off. And if they can keep doing that with some really cool stories, this can turn out to be a really fantastic series. I've heard a lot of good things about the source material, and I really didn't really pay it much mind when I heard people here and there chirping about it. But I, I'm so far really giving them a lot of credit for pointing that out because it, it feels like it. It really does feel like this can become a really excellent series, and I cannot wait for more of it. It's easily one of my favorite of the season. I think I put it as my number one when I did my video on my first impressions of the season. So cannot wait for more. It's absolutely fantastic. Great writing. Very beautiful. Like, oh my gosh, Liliana is so gorgeous. Uh, Studio Madhouse is having it. I was just waiting for the moment where she'd cut her hair. Like, I'm waiting for the character, character oh God, to cut please, the hair. No, please don't do <laughs> We that. can't have characters with long hair, Chris. It's not allowed. Like, this long, curly hair. It's just crazy. It's gorgeous. But I, I can say that a lot of the male characters that are kind of surrounding her, some of them look very samey, but it, it's just, it, it's, it has a lot of great backgrounds and her character design and everything, so... So obviously I'm going to run away with uh, Ileana because obviously I'm in this show. There you go. Just letting you all know. Maybe you're, che- <laughs> you're cheating on him with, with Irene. Baby Fall Princess. Definitely, definitely good stuff. I want to skip Muv Love Alternative. <laughs> Muv Love Alternative. Second season of Muv Love Alternative. Um, yeah, streaming on Crunchyroll, running for 12 episodes. I think it's still running 12 episodes for the second part, too. I hear, um, I hear, I hear. There's lots of punishment involved in this show. Visual novel is the source. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, um, really enjoyed first part. For those that don't know, my love alternative. I really enjoy. And for those that obviously probably have not checked out my videos, I am from the perspective of somebody that has not watched anything my love related and any of the visual novels, which upsets the hell out of everybody that watches my episode by episode impressions of my love alternative. Um, but I did anyways, and I. I this recent episode, I kind of feel that was like my first time where I was like, I kind of wish that I read the original visual novel because it was really hitting heavy on Sumika, which is what everybody's kind of been claiming as being like best girl. Um, but of course, with the story layout, she's not really existent much in Mobile Alternative. But no, for those that don't know, essentially this guy gets transported to this alternate world, which is essentially his world. Same people are in that world, like his classmates and stuff from his previous world are there. But... In this new world that he's in, um, this beta attacked many years ago. And so these aliens were attacking, destroying everything. And now he is essentially trying to fight back against those, the beta because he's now trapped in this world. And it gets in this interesting thing because he has reset a couple times at the very beginning. He hasn't really done it since then. Um, so he knows like what's going to transpire. So he's working to undo what will eventually lead to mankind just leaving Earth and leaving everybody else behind. And so that's alternative five. I'm forgetting already. Yes, alternative five is where mankind is going to leave. He wants to make sure that alternative four is a, is a successful implementation. That way they don't have to do five. And so that's been like most of his focus with the first season or at least the first part and getting into the second part. But at some point he um, screws up. <laughs> In this season so far, he screws up. I, I really am. I hate it. I don't like it. Um, I still think he's stupid for doing it because it, it led to something I didn't want, but he screws up in the, in the beginning of the second part and decides to go back to his old world. And then he starts screwing up things over there. So everything's being really screwed up right now and I don't like it and I hate it. And I don't know why I trusted the show for so long, but now I really hate this show and I never want to watch the show again. But, um, there's that's a it. reason Chris doesn't watch anything of love. <laughs> And I give them credit for waiting so long before they start screwing things up. But 
I still like the show, but I hate it. So, um, I don't know. Overall, like jokes aside, it is it is got some really good writing here, um, and they're obviously pulling off a lot of really great character moments. Um, again, it's a lot of it's really heavily relying on the idea of two parallel worlds, the connection between those two worlds, and how everything kind of is unfolding around Shurgana himself wanting to go back to his old world where he's comfortable. There's no war, but at the same time, being constantly drugged back into basically an alien infested desolate world of death um, and how they're kind of pulling that off. It's been great so far. I absolutely, again, I absolutely love the first part as much as I'm hating what's happening right now. I absolutely love the second part and I will continue to love the series, but yeah, that's, I'm, I'm excited to see what comes, what goes forward from here because again, there's a lot of tied, there's a lot of loose ends that are obviously been planning out for what now 16 episodes. And I cannot wait where it goes from here. So we'll see. We'll see. But again, uh, if you guys enjoy uh, listening to somebody that knows absolutely nothing about the original source material, uh, check out my weekly videos on YouTube. <laughs> but yeah, that's my love alternative. That's all I care. As I'm not, I'm not talking about it anymore. I hate the show. Don't watch it. Moving on, we have Akiba Made War or Akiba Made Sensho. This one's streaming on High Dive, running for 12 episodes. An original series done by PA Works, Side Games, and Dugout. The genres are comedy. I don't know if I could say this <laughs> genre. Uh, director is Suichi Masui, who did Soccer Quest and Rascal Does Not Dream of Bunny Girl Senpai. But yeah, this one opens up in Japan, where we have, I think the first segment they had was like back in 1990 or something like that, or 89, uh, where we have like a setting of maids coming out of this car and one going to go to this door, and then suddenly out of nowhere, this maid shows up and starts open firing on him. And then it just jumps forward to, I don't know, like, 1999 or something like that where we have this girl named Nagami who is going to Akiba with her dreams of becoming a maid working as a maid at a cute cafe and she comes there she comes to the place that she's going to be working at which is Tontotokan Tontokodan it's like the piglet cafe or something like that it's a pig pig themed pig themed cafe where she's going to be working at and very quickly <laughs> after a while of being there suddenly this guy shows up that's wanting to collect what the what he calls sweets which is payments payment uh, because apparently this maid cafe is a part of a conglomeration of maid cafes called Creature Land themed, and each of the Creature Land themes are different themed maid cafes. And he wants his sweets, and the manager doesn't have the sweets. Um, so he eventually says, "You know, send Nagami, this new girl, send her on that mission." And so she goes back to the back, gets his letter, gives it to Nagami. Thankfully, this other girl that started working there at the same time she does um, decides that she wants to go as well. And they arrive at this other cafe, which is like a competitor to Creature Land cafes. And they hand over the letter, and it ends up being like a whole bunch of the insults because apparently they wanted this war to break out. <laughs> um, and then Ronko quickly pulls out this gun and starts firing on everybody. And then they have this montage of an idle performance by one of the maid members and <laughs> just <laughs> blood and violence in the streets. And that kind of just continues on as. It seems like this maid cafe is causing a lot of problems to Creature Land. They're just sending them to do different stuff, or they're trying to make money and gambling and stuff like that. And the entire time, violence ensues, and they survive somehow. So it seems like a, the gist is that maids aren't always what they seem, and there's a lot of territorial wars happening between different groups of maids. So, And it gets really violent. So your thoughts on Akiba Maid War? I don't know. I want to this is this show has a it it 
it has the curse of having the first episode be such a high, high mark that every episode after that, well, you, you can sit here and watch episode two, episode three, episode four, and you can see the jokes. You know they're there. They should be funny. But because of the curse of the first episode being so daggum high, nothing can seem to uh, uh, satisfy that, that same itch. And it, it's it's one of those things that I even I even told Andrew I said this this show can be absolutely brilliant, but I don't know if they will ever be able to hit that same note. And for the most part, I don't think I have seen. I I think I chuckled a couple times during this last episode when they did the the whole drill instruct instructor thing, but when it came down to it. Literally, that first uh, episode, I was rolling. I It was so daggum funny that I could not stop laughing. Every episode from that point never hit that same that same point again. And I'm so frustrated at, the, at that. It, it, I, like I said, I can see the jokes. I know that they are what they're doing i i know that i sh- it, it, in any normal way i would probably be laughing at it. but when it comes down to it nothing is hitting the same way as that first episode so i hope that they can find that flavor um maybe it, uh, andrew had mentioned maybe it's possibly the um they felt very inspired by the idea and so they got that first episode and they hit it perfectly and Ever since then, they just haven't gotten that same inspiration. I don't know. It, it, it's it's really frustrating because this is really has that contrast thing that they could really pull off, and it's just not hitting for me. I think that's the troubling thing is that it, it there's a there's a side of you that feels almost as if the first episode was just like because of the shock value it worked, but then following that it's like you can't really pull that off again. And I don't know if that's what they're trying to pull off again is that shock value because it really does feel like every episode it feels like that formula. You open up, there's a concept, they go to do the concept, like be it gambling, be it um, you know, drill and sucker, and then it always ends with some violence. And that caps in every time. And it's like, but you can't pull that off. But I don't necessarily think that's the case because what the first episode did was showed absolute creative brilliance. And the idea that it was a contrast between hyper-violence and a pop, bubbly pop performance on a stage by Yumichi. Uh, Yumichi. Like, she's on the stage and she's doing the whole dance routine and it's all bubbly and fun. But then it cuts over and it's Ronko and she's doing the dance routines but with two guns. And it's just, it's absolutely absurd and it's so well produced. And I, and I felt like that was the possibility of that being that for the entire series because, yes, it's an original, so it's, they have to create their own concepts. But what PA Works did here recently with Yoboi Koming was able to change something from a manga and adapt it into an anime and then thus add their own creative freedom with it because obviously going from a manga that is just text on the, on, on the panels to an actual performances and stuff done by – Seiyus and stuff was really well done. It, like it, it enhanced a non-audible medium to an audible medium, and they did that so well. And I thought that was like, okay, well, if they pull that off, they can keep pulling this off. But unfortunately, yes, episode two and onward, it just hasn't hit. 
and now I will say episode three was like this one moment where I was like, okay, good. We're, we're, we got a little bit of that, that creativity in there again. And then episode four, it, it kind of brought me back down and I'm going, nope, I think this is it. Like, I think that they pulled off that first episode, not just by shock value, but by creativity. And then beyond that, it's just, let's just keep doing this over and over again. And it's really, it's really sad because <laughs> I think the entire internet was high on, on that first episode. Like that first episode, everybody's just freaking out. Even the producer of Eccentric Family tweeted <laughs> saying, look, I don't know what's going on over there. I, I'm very scared for what's going on at, at PA, my, uh, my past uh, colleagues. I seen that tweet and I immediately said, you're talking about the first episode of Akiba Maidborn, aren't you? And he just, he liked my tweet and I'm like, that's confirmation. <laughs> he literally, he literally seen that first episode and went, what the hell are they doing over there at PA Works? This is crazy. Um, and again, I, I think there's a side of me that's almost afraid that they, they got kicked back from that first episode. Like it was too much. Um, I hope not. Um, I, I, I almost feel like there could have been some sort of, I mean, he's acknowledging it saying there, you know, he's, he's fearful of them, but at the same time, it's probably just, you know, a, a tongue in cheek laugh. But at the same time, I wonder if there was a bigger picture that was around it saying, Ooh, chill out guys. That was a bit much because it was pretty violent, but it was comedy violent. So you had, again, that first shot that Ronco makes, literally you hear this kind of noise coming out of her forehead because the blood's squirting out and it's hitting Nagami and and on her chest and stuff. It's like, it's so, it was so crazy that it was hard to really kind of stomach at the same time you're just laughing. Um, But again, after that, it just kind of felt like, okay, now we're doing a gambling ring and uh, Yumichi realizes that they are scamming them and then she points it out and then they go, okay, well, we lose anyways. All right, explosions. Like, well, let's just solve it by explosions. I did I did get a kick out of Zoya's episode, honestly, because I really did like the fact that they had this whole thing with what was obviously, I don't know, some sort of good small company, figure company, trying to make things super rare and sell counterfeits and stuff like that. Then it turns into this whole boxing ring thing. Um, it was just, it, it had, again, that kind of absurdity in there, having Tensho there, and she's uh, pleading that she's sorry that Ronko didn't throw the fight, and she's like, well, but why are you naked? <laughs> it's like, oh, well, I wanted to show that, because I wanted to show that I was sincere. The entire time you're assuming that Ron- it's that the manager was forced to be naked, but she wasn't. Um, again, that, that, that was episode three. That was where I was seeing that promise come back, but then again, episode four, it's like, okay, we're losing it again. So I don't know, I... I want this to be absolutely amazing. I want it to be, I I think the core, the thing that makes this obviously great is that you have the cutesy aspect of maids, but then you're, you're contrasting it with violence and just kind of crudeness kind of thing going on. Yeah. We got that with the PV. The PV was like, you know, you had mosaics over the characters faces. They were saying inappropriate things that were getting deleted out. Run with it. Just get, get vulgar, whatever in your own style. And, it doesn't seem like they're doing that anymore. It just feels like they're just kind of playing off of the violence and that's pretty much it. And it just, it's, it, it, it doesn't work. It does. It really honestly doesn't work. Nagami's response to how absurd things are and everybody else kind of accepting it can only go so far before it just kind of gets boring. And I really do hope that they turn things around, but at le- it, what I can say, at least watch the first episode. That's easy. It's an easy recommendation for me. Watch the first episode. Well, but beyond it, that, don't expect too much, unfortunately, right now. Yeah, and that, and that's and that's pretty much where where I stand is it, I love the contrast between the cutesy nature and the and the hyper violent thing it, going back and forth between this this r- the reaction of wait, I'm I'm looking at 
so-and-so doing this. I mean, I mean, for me, like, like Andrew was saying, the third episode, me, it was the fourth episode, this kind of contrast between the, um, the characters, uh, trying to retain their cutesy um, carefree attitude and the the drill instructor saying no you have to do this you have to do this 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 and this um, and and it, and and that contrast back and forth between the and ultimately coming down to them them being kind of um, brainwashed effectively and and I I got a kick out of how they were pulling that off and I I thought they did well with that but when it comes down to it it's still not hitting that first episode that was absolutely brilliantly done. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's the frustrating thing is going back and forth between the, like Andrew was saying, the reaction to it with the cutesier characters and the hyper violent side of wait, what are we looking at here? This, this doesn't, this doesn't fit the, the, IE the contrast. So yeah. yeah crazy bunny ear girls chase you down on the streets. <laughs> we'll see. I, we'll see. It is, it is, it does technically have a theme in the background, the idea of, you know, the Yakuza idea of the family. Like, everybody's got each other's back, and they were, they're were they kind of trying to slowly slip that in there. I mean, they had this whole scene with Nagami talking to another girl that was part of a competitor, and she's like, doesn't it terrify you? And she's like, oh, yeah, you mean the whole thing of the, the territorial fights? Yeah, that's that's this kind of thing. But I take solace in knowing that everybody has my back, and it's like... Okay, I, I I see we're trying to get a little bit serious in there. I'm sure she's probably gonna get shot later. <laughs> we'll see, but I don't know. I hopefully it, it gets there again. But that's for now. Akiba made war. Check that out. Peter Grill and the Philosopher's Time Super Extra. This one is streaming on High Dive, running for twelve episodes. Um, unfortunately, High Dive does have the censored version, um, which again is. Sometimes expected, sometimes it's exclusive, sometimes High Dive doesn't have the choice. I always like to make sure that people know that because I just get tired of people saying that everything is censored. This is a 12-minute short being done by Studio Wolfbane and also 7 included now with the second season. Sources of manga, genres are harem, comedy, ecchi, fantasy. And uh, yeah, this one follows a guy named Peter Grill. And Peter Grill is this hero of the world, super strong, pretty much has nobody that can compete against him. And for that reason... Every single woman in the entire kingdom in the world seems to want his um, his his seed um, his stuff. They, they want he wants his 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 man stuff. His what they call it here recently is man mustard or something like that. They, they, I think they've <laughs> referred to it as that. Um. They call it a lot of different things. It seems to be an ongoing joke. But yeah, for the first season, it was pretty much yeah everybody coming after him. The the kind of the sad thing sort if you want to call it that from the very beginning was that he loves Luvelia who is the princess of this kingdom and they kind of promised each other and but the sad thing is that Luvelia believes in storks so she's just waiting for a bird to arrive with their baby and doesn't know that they need to do the whole hanky panky thing um and so while he's you know trying to keep himself for her he fails miserably because he keeps sleeping with all these other women that come to get his 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 mustard and yeah, Old going juice. into the second season, <laughs> going into the second season, we pretty much introduce the goblins into the world, which isn't like your goblin slayer type of show where all the you know male goblins come out and take all the women. Uh, it's a bunch of like everything, women mostly, <laughs> goblins going around taking the mustard from all the men, and um, yeah, they 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 have this fear because typically whenever they get too much population of goblins, they have to take them all out. So. At the same time, Peter's trying to rescue his Lavilia. He's also trying to figure out how he can possibly stop the goblins so they don't take out all the goblins again because it happened in the past. And there was this one 
Goblin Gubako, I think her name was. Gobko. Gobko, that he was trying to save, and he thought that she died, but then he is reunited with her. And then the and then the goblin the actual goblin slayer shows up and gives him a hint as to what could possibly remedy the goblins. And yes, it's drinking mustard, drinking the mustard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> stupid. It's a stupid show. <laughs> Your it thoughts. Is. It is a stupid show. <laughs> I just like how they literally had a goblin slayer show up. Ah, uh, this 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 season is um yeah, it's special. Um, I, 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 I think it's absolutely goofy and fun. I, and, and I, there's nothing brilliant about it. It's just literally how many different ways we can figure out to, um, fool everybody else as characters just thirst after, um, Peter for whatever reason that, that he needs and he uh, cries all the time about how he, he cries so sadly you poor thing just 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 i mean i kind of felt bad for him with the goblin queen that was <laughs> i mean he did say it was really good <laughs> he's like i hate how how really good it was um but yeah the 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 luckily we haven't had a whole bunch of um Luvilia this this season um, it, but it looks like we're adding a new flavor to it. And I, I was excited about it for a minute until this, this last episode kind of cemented where we're going to go with this new character. And I hope it's not the direction that we're, we're uh, it looks like it's planning on going. Um, I don't know. It, it, it could be either good or bad. We need to get SISCON aspect. This yeah, it's not a Syscon aspect. <laughs> you think they're gonna make a Syscon aspect? No, they're not. <laughs> uh, not from that one episode. I I don't know the if you brief, seen like two second clip. You mean? No, no. There's another episode out today, and it's oh, it's not that. it's not gonna be. It doesn't look like it's gonna be fun. It 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 could be fun. It, it might not be fun. Um. So we'll see where we go in the future on that one. But yeah, I, I can't wait to see the bunny girl. Um. But yeah, so far just just goofy angst. Uh crazy goofy angst yeah just lots of angst <laughs> no I, I got a kick out of it i honestly with the first season i i will say that i i don't know why it's been so long since i watched the first season it really does feel like this season at least was just it's barely moving and i, I that's the kind of the unfortunate thing obviously the the series has always been kind of driven by the comedy and just really good character designs and stuff like that that I really like. Like the all the girls are fantastic, are fantastic, yeah. Um, but obviously, the first season was more driven by the fact that they had some really hilarious moments. Like the comedy on this series has always been just phenomenal. Like I, I still remember back the first season with the whole scene where Peter has to have dinner with Lavelia's father, and the entire time they're under the table doing things to him. It's just it was it was so stupidly absurd, and it was so much fun. This season, like I said, it was it had a lot of absurdity around the whole idea of the goblins going around and just jumping all over the men, which was again very counter to what we're typically used to with the whole goblin aspect and you know risk whisking off women. Now it's just the men are being just kind of tormented with this, uh, which is yes for men kind of makes you go, why are they bother so much? But then, <laughs> yes, technically leave it too long; it's not too comfortable, but. But it was funny, and it was funny before that. And like I said, having the Goblin Slayer show up was just absolutely hilarious. I got a huge kick out of that whole thing, and the had a great punchline to it. Going forward, we'll have to see. But it, it is definitely still hitting on a lot of the comedy for me, and I still enjoy that aspect. Like I said, I just feel like, unless I'm misremembering the first season, it really does feel like the animation has come down a lot, which surprised me because they technically have two studios now working on it. So 
you'd think they'd be able to pull things together. There's just a lot of a lot of really wonky shots and just not too much happening. But I don't really expect like crazy action scenes. Like the whole fight scene with all the goblins, I didn't really expect it to be crazy animation. Um, but just kind of the moment to moment looking decent, I think is is my main concern. I just want the character to stay on model because we're obviously dealing with some etchy and stuff. So. But it's still a lot of fun, even still in the end, and I, I look forward to more of it. It's just, uh, it's always been a, a, a absurd, absurd series that I always enjoy, so we'll see. We'll see, we'll see, we'll see. Moving on, we have Welcome to Demon School, Irmukun, third season. The show's still going for some reason. Um, there, there seems to be a fandom. I think it includes Chris and a couple people on our Discord. <laughs> Running on Crunchyroll for 21 episodes, being done by Spandai Namco Picture still, um, based on a manga. So, so what is the, what is the deal with the season? I've, I, at this point I've completely forgotten what's going on. He, he was a boy that was sold off to his, a demon king or something like that. Yeah. And he goes to school and he has to hide the fact that he's a human because the demons don't like humans. He's, he's also got a quirk of being unable to say no to anything. Yes. So, um, he, I remember that. he, he, he's obviously super clumsy, but his clumsiness is somehow like miraculous so he never actually dies or something like that when he gets into these weird situations interesting um it's this season has been absolutely um just going into the next kind of thing that they're doing um we're going into a harvest festival of some sort where they're um going to gather ingredients for a big massive hot pot or something like that oh that explains the ed that we hate so yeah the the hot pot song (laughs) yeah um but yeah, it's um it's interesting because now that they've gotten Royal One, they've got to um obviously um they have to rank up being that they were the misfit class, they have to show that they are worthy of having Royal One. So, it's been a lot a lot of, you know, uh training montage so far and then going into the actual harvest festival. So, um we're going to start seeing how much they have evolved since the last the before the training montage so it'll be interesting to see where they go um especially uh some of our favorite characters want to see how much they have been improved so yeah super excited so they powered up yeah they powered up again oh, okay <laughs> let's welcome to demon school irimakun it's the third season i don't know one of these days i might I'm I'm not gonna make any I'm not gonna say anything. <laughs> Doubt I'm ever have time to get caught up to it. I've it, thought about it, it, it every is, now and then, but and mm. and that's and that's one of the things that I kept kept saying is it's it's not doing anything crazy spectacular. It, it it's just yeah. But it, it, I did enjoy the episode that I watched of it. I just for some reason it was one of those ones where it was like a mid season. I just kind of fell off of it. Yeah. Like I enjoyed the the whole beginning segments and doing the the summoning and ended up summoning like the instructor or something like that. It was just <laughs> it was stupid. But it was good. It was good, stupid. But yeah, I don't know that I'm. I, I think my biggest push away was I did not like the character designs at all. Like overall, I was not a fan of the style of the series. But anyways, Saiken Densetsu, Legend of Mana, the Teardrop Crystal. This one is streaming on Crunchyroll. Don't know how long it's running for. Being done by Graphinica and Yokohama Animation Lab. Of course, it's based off of a video game. And the genres are adventure and fantasy. And this one's director is Masato Jinbo, who did Rise in the Shield Hero second season, Sinro Girls, and Restaurant to Another World second season. Um, where do I start with this one? It kind of opens up with this vision that this guy named Shiloh sees where he's standing before this, um, I forget exactly what she, they, they said that she was, this, this spirit. And the spirit just basically says, you know, go out to the world, 
um, encounter people, um, see the decisions that they make, and then arrive back at me or something like that. Basically, go out and adventure, experience things, and come tell me about it, essentially. And he wakes up, and he's in this village. We find out at some point that he was brought to this village a long time ago. And he's kind of just stayed at that village for the most part, you know, surrounded by a bunch of different types of creatures and whatnot. And at some point, his they kind of insinuate these two um, like gnomes showed up at some point and were trying to attack, and he fought them off, and now they're staying with him. And at some point, this guy shows up named Rudy. And Rudy is looking for somebody he's looking for this girl named pearl and he gets a little bit violent in the in the village and shiloh and this guard duele kind of stop him and they come to find out from him that he is looking for this pearl which is this this friend of his that is in need of help and so they end up helping getting this one fairy girl to use this gem that will show you where something precious is of yours is at they use that gem and end up finding that she's in this kind of cave nearby so Shiloh kind of goes after Ruby as he runs down there to go find his friend Pearl. They go down there, they find Pearl, they fight this monster, and then they leave. And come to find out, Ruby and Pearl are one of this one race called a Jumi. And Jumi are essentially gem people. Their entire existence is within this gem. They have a human-looking body, but their actual soul and energy and everything is within this gem. So if it's destroyed or taken away, they'll die. But as long as that gem exists, any damage they take or whatever, they can kind of restore themselves. And so Jumi, Arudi, and Pearl end up leaving Shiloh to go out to see if they can find other people that are Jumi. And Shiloh kind of says, all right, cool, later on, goes back to his village. Come find out there's this inspector that drops by the village and mentions that there is somebody out there that is hunting down Jumi. And so Shiloh, fearing for the safety of Ruri and Pearl, decides to finally sit out on his adventure and go make his experiences. So he's going around with his inspector, trying to find out where Ruby and Pearl is at the same time, you know, following the path of this, this Jimmy hunter that's going around and, and taking out people that are Jimmy. So, yeah, I don't remember anything about the game. I played the game a long time ago, but I have, I have zero recollection of it. I actually was wanting to play the new one uh, because they did a remake or remake of it on the switch and I think this is probably something they adapted on the side of it just to kind of sell copies of that. But I don't remember anything about the story. I will say so far, I love the world building. It's a very creative fantasy world. Um, so many unique styles to the characters and the creatures and stuff around them. It's just a very fascinating world. I, especially the first episode, I just kind of got swept up in kind of experiencing the world and absorbing all the weirdities of the world itself. Um, and then it kind of gets very focused on the idea of following down this this Jumi hunter. And I think that's where it just kind of <laughs> – it just lost me. Like it, it just – it turns into kind of um, – it feels very video game-ish. Like in the idea that it's just kind of, you know, go to this next town, investigate. Um, person, Boss battle. <laughs> yeah, this person is the threat. Like this this bad guy for some reason leaves a calling card saying they're looking for this particular person that could be a Jumi. So there's some sort of – some sort of clue as to who the Jumi could be that this thing is hunting down. They try to find that person and then they come to find out who it is and quote unquote boss battle. Jumi hunter gets what she wants and runs off. And then next episode, here's the next village. What's the mystery? It's this thing. Okay. Jumi hunter shows up boss battle, whatever. And then she runs off with the gym. Um, I don't know. Are, are you watching this at yeah. all? 
Uh, what's your what's your thoughts on it so far? Before I get too much into the weeds, it is nice. It, it, it I'm I'm in the same kind of in the same boat as Andrew. Of I don't really remember the main story, and so it is kind of nice to get the story. Um, it I I do have this nostalgia aspect of seeing a lot of these characters, not necessarily remembering who they are or what they're doing, but it is nice to see them. Um, and actually see them doing stuff and, and it's a very unique with style. Them. And they're yeah. definitely pulling off a lot of the character designs, which are very detailed. Yeah. And, and, but when it comes down to it, I, I have to agree. The story is kind of, eh, I, I mean, I guess if, if you take it from the consideration of how it would work in a, in a video game, it probably really works in the video game aspect where you're, do, you're going along and you're doing the kind of, um, exploring the dungeon and then you have this little clip of a of a storyline really quick and then you go back to playing the game and then you might bump into this character or this npc and talk to them and get this little bit of information and then move on to the the next aspect but it's not really translating well as far as the anime is concerned so I, I'm 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 in this mixed area where it's it's nice to see these characters, see them moving around and all that stuff, but at the same time the story is like eh kind of Shiloh's kind of unbearable. <laughs> <laughs> I got I was yelling at my screen with the whole thing with the firebearer and this Jimmy Hunter. I was like is he literally just sitting there? <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's so funny because if you look at the comment sections of like Crunchyroll, everybody's like, everybody's mad that this this main character for once isn't like an OP main character that's taking down the bad guys, and they can't stand. It. I'm like, no, I don't care that he gets beat. I care the fact that Shiloh's literally standing there while this chick is ripping this gym off this guy's chest, and he literally does nothing. It, it's he's so unbearable in that regard. I don't mind that he gets his butt kicked. That's perfectly fine. That's legit. How again? JRPGs work. Is you sometimes run into those recurring bosses where you just get your butt handed to you, and you get really angry because you used a bunch of items because you thought that you could actually beat them, <laughs> but then come to find out you can't actually beat them. You're supposed to lose. That's frustrating. But Shiloh, dude. Deuce, just get up. Like, just move two feet. Show, show some effort before you get knocked against the wall and it's over. Um, but he is he's kind of dumb. Um, but no, I, I it's it's a mixed bag for me. Like I said, it really does feel like it has its age um, kind of showing on its sleeve. At the same time, I love the art style. I love the the creativity of the world, the environments. It really does. It really does look like a lot of these environments are kind of ripped straight out of it was a sin it was SNES years, huh? The original was SNES. Yeah. Um it just you can see that kind of the layout of the village and stuff. It feels as nostalgic, that kind of style. And and they're they're actually pulling off the incorporating of the the basically the the they're they're he has the artifacts and when he looks at the artifact and he and it shows him where he wants to go. Um, yeah, that the CGI it, it, world. Yeah, they, they, this that actually is how they did that in the game, where you would look at the or you would use the item. And it didn't actually show you looking at it, but you use the item, and it would make a make a area pop up and all that stuff. And it, it's actually pulling off how they're actually doing that, and it it does work out okay. Besides, it looking CGI. It does very, look a little CGI. It's, it's very CGI. <laughs> But no, I got a kick out of that, too, because it's like, oh, it's the overworld. There's the first dungeon. All right. It's time for first dungeon time. <laughs> Go into the first dungeon. Uh, but like I said, it, for the most part, they're visually really pulling it off. And I do like a lot of the character designs and everything like that. And 
um, their interactions. And it's just a very, it's a very interesting world. I mean, they have like this whole, just the, the weird little leaf looking creatures and them being afraid of being pulled out of the, 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 the ground when they shouldn't be. It's just a very interesting little world. Like I said, that first episode was really creative in like establishing these very weird things that are kind of the norm of this fantasy world. So I do get a kick out of how they're pulling off the, the save points with the cactus. <laughs> yeah. That too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. That's um, that's Saiken Densetsu, Densetsu, Legend of Mana, the Teardrop Crystal. I don't know how long they're planning on going with the series. I would assume it'd probably be at least a two core. I don't know. Maybe they're just going to plan on doing like split cores or something. This is technically one of those ones that I kind of see them doing a full adaptation of. Um, It's just, it's kind of one of those video gamey ones where they just kind of plow through the entire story. Usually with the video games adaptations, you don't typically get like a partial adaptation. But we'll we'll see. We'll see how it turns out. But yeah, that's that's it. That's it for this episode. Kind of a, a quick review or first impressions episode I intended. I was I may I maybe should have just put another one over here, but we'll we'll see how the next next week's probably gonna be super long. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see how next week turns out. I know at least like Bochi the Rock and and Bleach and Chainsaw Man and Love Flops maybe Udis, uh to your turning maybe. I don't know. I guess there's a few on there that would be pretty long, but we'll see. I also need to add to that, um, I don't know, I might just do a review and just be done with it, but um, technically we have, well, to let you guys know, Encouragement to Climb, Butchie the Rock, More Than a Married Couple, not just, or More Than a Married Couple, but not Lovers, Bleach, Chainsaw Man, Love Flops, Udase Yetzera, um, the, Lives, the Lies We Tell, Two-Year Turning, Ark Knights, Ken Kali, Reincarnated as a Dummy, uh, Reincarnated as a Dummy Head Microphone, and um, uh, romance, Romantic Killer is the one that I just popped up. So we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as always. If you did, I well, thank you for your listening and support, uh, letting other people know about us, sharing out links to our podcast and our YouTube channel. It definitely helps us out. Additionally, for all those that support us on Patreon, our tips link, our super thanks button on YouTube. We definitely appreciate all of your guys' support. Uh, again, all those links are at uh, takusupport.com. Uh, we thank you all for listening. We hope you all enjoyed and you'll take care. Os. ちゃんと目を見て話してくれた人どんな時もそばにいてくれた人自分に自信持てなくて変わりたいのに勇気も出なくてすぐに頼っちゃうあなたに周りの声に合わせてばかりの私守ってくれてるいつもそばで笑